nice things. Hello, good evening and welcome to another thrilling, fun-packed edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me this week, Sir Michael Livesley, we have... Paul Carmichael is now appearing at the London Palladium. <laughs> is this one of those uh, announcements like the one that used to be at the end of Lenny Henry, which was uh, Carla Mendoza is appearing in Daisy Pulls It Off at the Lyceum Theatre until May the 12th. That's exactly it. I miss mm. those. I mean, I would never have gone to see anything, but I'd like to know what they were up to at that moment. You know? Yes, it's that sort uh, of comfy slippers mentality that the old ladies listening to the shipping forecast have, isn't it? It's like, it it's is, a bit umpty yeah. out there on the waves. However, I enjoy knowing it's out there. Yes. No, that's exactly... This is why I listen to the shipping forecast. Oh, right. Day. Okay, so you're the uh, old lady in the slippers. <laughs> I'm the old lady on this occasion. However, I think if it was the London Palladium, <coughs> I think, oh... What would you want to be in? I was thinking about this the other At day. The I'd like to be in Run For Your Wife. Um, you know, a proper, <laughs> a proper Ray Cooney farce. Probably me with Diane Keane and Roy Marsden, something like that. Three that months. sounds good, that would doesn't be cool, it? Wouldn't it? Oh, Having a oh, chance to uh, have a few Campari and soda with Diane that's, each evening. That's exactly the idea. Yes, if it was about the early 70s, so you could sort of potentially, um, you know, engage in a courtship with Diane, that would be spot on. Well, that would be, and she'd have just have come out of Crossroads. Oh, uh, jolly yeah, dolly. You could have oh. chucked Roy's wig across the pub and, and removed him as competition straight away, Ab- couldn't you? Absolutely. Oh, yes. yes, no problem at all. Though the wig's a strange one with Roy, um, because he's never made any sort of secret of the fact that he's going bald, but they felt when he did the sandbaggers that he desperately needed to wear a piece. Mm. So he didn't have any problem with that, but then when he was doing all the publicity... And in a few of the publicity photos, he hasn't got the piece on. So it's a bit strange. Yeah, well, Roy is in the Anthony Valentine camp, isn't he? Of sort of, I don't give a shit, but the telly companies do. Mm. He wore one in Airline as well, Marsden. Yes, he did. Now, was that, that was Yorkshire as well, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. What year was that? That was 80, that. 80 right. or, in fact, I think it was 81, because around about that time, there was a lot of airline-themed shows coming about. I don't know why. I think the early 80s, like, Concord was there, wasn't it? And you had another series called We'll Meet Again, which was... it was. I know what it was. It was due to the popularity of Yanks, wasn't it? Of what? The film Yanks, written by... Who's the guy from Earlstown? Colin with the tash. Blakely? No. Was it um, Colin Blakely? No. The, the one who wrote um, Chariots of Fire and he yeah. Survivors. Was it Colin Blakely, that? No, Colin, Colin Blakely's the old Colin Irish. Welland. Colin, Colin Welland. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Colin, Colin Welland. Welland. Who I remember being on a show once arguing for Sebastian Coe versus Roger Bannister. They used to have these silly shows. Anyway, that doesn't matter right now. Um, but Yanks was a massively popular film which was based upon Colin Welland growing up in Burton Wood, up the road, where the American airbase was. Mm. So, um, you know, very close to the hearts, obviously, of um, yeah. beca- because where I grew up, Burton Wood was sort of, you know, a big deal. Jack Case, the local scrap metal merchant, used to mm. nick all the Americans' uh, vans, uh, sorry, wagons off them during World War II, and they'd know who'd nicked them. So they'd yeah. go and have to buy them back off Jack Case every, uh, every sort of week. It's like, can we have our treks back, Jack? I don't know what you're on about. Okay. Yes. <laughs> there were all kinds See, of scoundrels. Burtonwood to me is the service station. That's what I always think of because, because yeah. it's identical on both sides of the motorway, but it looks as though it's got a hole in the roof. I don't know if it's still like that's that. That's correct. No. Um, so Burtonwood is also the uh, birthplace of Rick Astley, and where his uncle Ray Astley had a recording studio, which is where never going to give, never going to give, and all that business was done. Oh, really? There you go. Burtonwood Facts. Join us next week. Lovely stuff. Um, No idea about that. Yeah, but Yanks was an incredibly popular film, if you remember. I mean, you may not remember this. I don't. I don't. You've blotted that one out. Yeah, I, well, I, I blotted it or, or it was never in the consciousness, I'm not sure. Although, Colin Welland, you know, is one of those writers whose name <coughs> just keeps on appearing throughout yeah, isn't it? TV um, drama film. Saturday afternoon off, isn't that him? One of the Granada plays, yes. early seventies. Oh, there's there's so many that that he wrote, and then of course he pops up in Survivors in a recurring role. Um, 
Lovely all-round solid chap, Colin Welland. Solid chap who was a teacher at Selwyn Jones School, high school in Earlstown. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's what Saturday afternoon off is based upon. But returning to the uh, Hirsute syrups of these actors. So, yeah, so we had that period early 80s, didn't we, where Erline things were uh, quite popular. And Erline being the Freddie Laker story, but Mm. dramatised, obviously. Because Freddie Laker was a big deal early 80s. Do you remember all the Freddie Laker stuff? I don't at all, no. So something went on with Freddie Laker. He He was a private... Right, so he was RAF World War Two, and then do you know you know what the Berlin airlifts were, don't you? World yes, War I do. II. Yeah. So he did. He he got all these Dakotas off the American, the U.S. Air Force. He bought them cheap, the DC fifty ones, I think, or DC fifties. We might have somebody who knows about aircraft getting in touch now. Um, but he bought all those from De Havilland, I think, and mm. he made his money during the Berlin airlifts, mm. which is what airline begins with. Um, I may have to give that a go. It's oh, you've never watched it. I do it. love a no, I haven't. And I oh, love a my Boston. dear boy, who's the big bloke in it that we love with the tash and the wavy hair? He's a Terence Rigby. Yes, Terence Terence Rigby. You oh. got it. So you love got Terence Rigby, and then there's one bit I remember with Marsden where uh, I fucking loved it. Um, after my mum died, it used to be on Granada Plus at like midnight on a Sunday night, and I used to always I'd have bottles of vodka, and I'd sort of. <laughs> so what I used to do was, in those dark winter days, um, it was just me and the dog. So oh god, we can't be going on about this. I used to start. I used to get up very late and start drinking very late. Anyway, so Erline was on at midnight on a Sunday, and it was just like here we go every week. Erline was on, uh, and there's one line where he's like. Oh, with Terence Rigby's character. So I suppose you want us all to, when he walks in, to tug our tug our forelocks, do you? You know, to Ryan Mars. And he's like, I don't care if you tug your foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> Which he was like, how has no one ever heard that play on words, foreskin, forelock before? Oh, brilliant. It's oh, great, that. that You've never That's seen wonderful. that. I think, we've, seen I think we've only got one series. Mm. Yeah, one series of 13, I think. There was a point to all this, wasn't there? It was un- actors unwilling to wear wigs, but well, did yeah, it for the um, job. Well, we know of a few who who were unwilling to admit the wig, don't we? So, oh, we uh, do. I mean, Anthony Ainley, for Anthony one. Anthony Ainley, absolutely. Doctor Who's master would re- absolutely did not wear a wig, Mention even though he clearly one. did. Um, and if he had to wear a wig in studio for a character, they'd put the wig over his own wig rather yes. than taking the first wig off. Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. You couldn't couldn't point the wig out. No, I mean it's when he plays uh, the thingy, doesn't he? It's when he's in Castrovalva. They put the wig over the wig. That's right. Yeah, and you can really tell. Oh bloody ally! Huge hat, two wigs. I mean. Bit silly, but fair play to him. Stuck to it, and everybody knew. That's what I love. Everybody knew about this. Nobody said anything. Well, this is Anthony. this is what we adore, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. We live in a world of make believe as actors, and what mm. we love is how we all collude in these illusions with each other. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like wigs and things like that. I mean, Brucey, Brucey was just completely. You know, he had that. He was combing it up from under his armpits at the end of the generation game, wasn't he? But then, right. um, and then he did the. It was it. What was that show called? It wasn't Big Night Out. Big Night In. <laughs> uh, big Bruce's sh- Big Night In. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get the network together, as he used to say. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. he was still sporting the generation game comb over them, was he? He was starting to look a little more like 80s Brucey that we came to. Because he comes into the 80s, doesn't he, with the play your cards right wig? That's right. Now then, uh, Bruce's Big Night, it was called, well, I think, on Bruce's Big right. Night. Um, and no, we didn't have the wig no. by this point, but we're only a year or so off from play your cards right. But Bruce's Big Night, for anyone who's not seen it, it's the strangest bloody show. Yeah. It's that idea of let's get Bruce in for two hours live every Saturday. It's, but even Bruce can't sustain that because there's no format. It's just that's the idea. If we've got Bruce, we're sorted. Well, the memory lingered of the time he carried the Sunday night at the Palladium show, didn't it? And let's be honest, that is one of the most remarkable pieces of television 
that, that you will ever see. That's wonderful. We talked about that. Do we know the background? Yeah. We talked about the background. Yeah. yeah, yes. But the boys and girls at home potentially need a, a refresher. Well, we'll take this one together. So now it wasn't an equity strike, was it? But it was no. one it was the of the other strikes. Um, it was some sort of a strike. No, no, it wasn't a technician's. I it thought was they one had that to... affected variety the performers. I think. Oh, I see. So it was a theatre job. two unions, yeah. So what you end up with there, of course, is uh, Sunday night at the London Palladium relies on having maybe about eight different guests who come on and do their turn, and in between you've got Bruce introducing them. And then, of course, one week, there's no guests because of this strike. So the only people that you've got are Bruce, who's not in the union, and Norman Wisdom, who's not in the union. Mm. And they come together and... From what I understand, on the day, just starting in that morning, starting on the Sunday morning, making it up as they went along, they managed somehow to camera rehearse a full hour of TV, just them, of sketches and music and dancing and physical theatre and clowning. And by the end of it, is that lovely moment, isn't it? Because every week you had the revolve going at the Palladium yes. and everyone stood there waving and it's just the two of them lying on their backs, absolutely <laughs> shagged out. And they look knackered. Wisdom yeah. looks like he's about to die. It's just, Oh, it's perfect television. Real. Wonderful. So I think that that was the hubris that sort of came with it. I mean, I, 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 I think I'm on fairly safe ground when I say that Bruce wasn't a man to whom uh, humility came easily. I... Doubt it, but then again, why should it? Because oh, he was agreed. Bruce Forsyth. And, agreed. Yeah, for, yeah. But his wig, as we enter the 80s, it's sort of like, it heralds the 80s, doesn't it? There's that, it's sort of like, you know, it's Thatcherism, it's 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 optimism, it's sort of like, you know, we're going we're gonna to get through this, boys and girls. You know, so you had the winter of discontent, and then Bruce's wig hits the airwaves in about 1980. Do you think it was inspired by Grace Jones? His wig? Yeah, because it's very square, isn't it? It's sort of like, it, it's like a little helmet that Bruce is wearing. I don't know what he was thinking. I honestly don't know what he was thinking. All I know is, I bet you it cost a bloody fortune. Mm. Because all those sorts of things do, don't they? They you do. Know, wigs and stuff. So, do you think we could plot the different... Regenerations of wig because obviously, by the time he's doing Strictly, if he'd have still had the jet black wig, yeah, that would have looked ridiculous. By that point, we've got the grey, so it's like I salt wonder, and pepper, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I wonder if we went through periods where there was a big leap of wig, or did we have this gradual declension through the colours towards a grey scale? Very good. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that we went through the, the, the seasons. With mm -hmm. Bruce's wig. And now you've mentioned the square head, which is a little like a sort of Playmobil figure. It, it is, it. yeah. Maybe it reflected the square moustache. Because Bruce's moustache, his facial hair goes through sort of, you know, different iterations as well, doesn't it? It's not just it the hair. The moustache goes in. And, I mean, I can't think of any of this without... Like my toes curling up, thinking about him doing. You remember the "You Bet" rap? Yes. No, no, Bruce here. No. Anyway, so um, I think that didn't the wig have a bit of a mullet going on at one point? It did, didn't it? It, it had little, little strand bits, which made me yeah. think of sort of like my mum had a haircut like that in the early eighties, actually, with these little strandy. Bits it's the eighties, mate. That I mean. It, but you see him in real life, right? Mm. During all that period, and he's just got a Panama hat on, not asked. Yeah, he didn't that's wear very the true. wig, and and no. so it weren't the TV company. I do think that it's this. This is me, the person. This is me, mm. the persona. This is the performer. Yes. And I think that it's like you know when you turn up at a theatre and you can't be asked. Well, it's not that you can't be asked, but you think you because I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like I can't do this tonight. I don't know mm. the words. I'm tired. Mm. I'm shit. Mm. Right? I need. I, I need. I need a fizzy drink. All these things that you can't do. Right? And so you yeah. sort of sit there, don't you, in the dressing room, being quiet and inwardly knowing you're shit, and you're like that. Oh, yes. And then people pop in. It's like, oh, we're excellent. Wasn't it wonderful last night? And you're like, oh yeah, it might have been, but tonight it'll be shit. Absolutely. And then what do you do? 
you get dressed. Yes. You get the shoes on. Yes. You you get the makeup. Whatever it is you're doing, all right, it's gonna be all right. I may be shit, but this the persona I, is intact. I inhabit. Yeah. Persona intacta. Yes, but of course we've got the f- you've got the fact that you know from the moment that you realise that you've just said yes to one of these bloody shows. <sighs> Right up until the moment you basically step foot on stage. I don't know about you, but the moment that I say yes, I'm then thinking, oh, why have you said that? You don't You don't say yes. I do. You don't. It's that thing that's in oh, the, the dressing thing. room. Yeah, it's yes, Bruce's it is, wig that says yes, it's not Bruce's you. Bruce's wig. I got asked to do something uh, earlier this week in the summer. It's bloody Shakespeare. And... Absolutely not. I'm. I find the line learning exhausting. No. I find the the travel irritating. I'm, I'm scared shitless right yes. up until the moment that I step foot onto. No, I don't want to. And of course, I said, "Oh yes, thank you." Bruce's wig. Bruce's wig. Bruce's That's wig steps in and just goes yes. And there's no way you're backing away from the challenge. Let's be honest. There's no oh, fucking way you get into you get into right. Okay, when does this job start? Oh God. Uh, well, next weekend. There's a read through. All right. Let's say there's a night. It's June the sixth. It begins. Right. Your first night. Okay. Mm. Or whenever it is. Okay. Okay. June the sixth. Lying in bed. You said no. Right. You're lying in bed. It's dark. Right. You've said no. You know that everyone's out for drinks and everyone's mm. had fun and da da da. And then you're trying to sleep, and the next thing on your shoulder, should have said yes. Bruce's wig is there in the night, and it's just like, ah! you know what I mean? It's like them tapping her, at the window, them herbals in the ash tree, <laughs> that, go, that, that crawl up the ash tree, you know, to the window in the evening. No, there's no way I'm saying no to anything. No. no. No, no, Unless, absolutely not. I always think that, as you said last week about William Russell being too busy for Margin Undead, that must have been some shit stopper of a gig to mm. prevent it. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I'd have said I'd but, done a positive COVID test. Well, Bruce, his wig would have made me. Not that they had would, absolutely. Time travel. Yes. So, so Bruce's wig, is it, is it a friend or a foe, do we think? I think it is a friend of the theatre. And I think mm. it's our friend. Because you can't say no to... A, a nice job. All right, if you get asked to do something poo, right? So there's there's those sort of, as the Hindus say, isn't it? There's the three gates of truth that everything must travel through, you know? Is it, is it, is it fur? Mm. Oh, I can't remember them all. Anyway, there's there's <laughs> three, three gates of truth that everything has to pass through. And there's three tests that a job has to pass through, doesn't it? Will it be fun? Will it help me? And will it make me money? Right? So they're the three things. You go, Right, so... Um, you've got to keep the lights on. People think it's a dirty word, money, in this industry. But it's mm. got to make you some money. Do you know what I mean? And if it hasn't got, if it isn't going to make you some money, it's going to have to do your profile a shit ton of good. Mm. Damn. Or it's, it. favor. or it's a favour. Or it's a favour. If it's a favour. all three for me, this one. But, but, well, they but generally are. Yeah, they are, aren't they? But mm, there we go. So I'll just spend the next... Eight weeks shitting myself and go, oh, I can't learn it. And then eventually I'll learn it. You will learn it. You will learn it. Bruce's wig will not let you sleep otherwise. It won't. Um, And so here endeth the parable of Bruce's toupee. Bruce's toupee. Or not toupee. Um, (laughs) So uh, nice things this week. Um, Mm. I finally availed myself, because you made me, of... um, Doctor Who Myths and Legends, which is only uh, 12 years since it came out. That's not bad, is it? I think it should be explained at this point that uh, obviously a few weeks ago on the podcast, you said um, you hadn't got got any nice things because you'd bought them all. So Mm. naturally, I I felt that we had to rectify this situation and show you the error of your ways and that there are truly nice things out there. We did. And the amount of money I've spent on on stuff is I've definitely been rectumfied. So this the germ of this was one Monday the other week when neither of us particularly wanted to go out in the cold and the rain and stuff, which is glorious today. So you know, Um, and so I I I said I tweeted out that I would rather sit and watch the Time Monster, 
which I knew was a sort of quite grainy 525 line um, version of stuff. Um, and so you said, no, they've done it up 12 years ago. Um, so why don't you get yourself this box set? So I did. Now, this set me off on um, uh, down a rabbit hole uh, because Atlantis tends to, doesn't it? And so it um, the, the sort of destruction of a prior civilization, right, which is kind of a, a returning th a thing that I like to think about. Now, I don't know whether you approve of this or not. So, so anyway, the ancients, the ancients, um, and believed in a thing called the Great Year. Have you heard of this? No. Okay, so the Earth, um, as it passes around the sun, because we've got a wobble, we wobble on the axis, right? And yeah. so every 2,590 years, give or take, I think it's 2,920, oh, no, 2,520 years, okay? We go from one star sign to the other, right? In the sky. No, now listen, that's the astrology side of things, but from an astronomy point of view, equinoctially, right? On the equinoxes, um, we align with a different area of the sky. Yes? So star right. signs star signs are one thing, but Aquarius, Pisces, Sagittarius, all them, they are all portions of the sky and different um, constellations or whatever they are, right? Mm. So uh, that is why we are in the age of Pisces, which is the Christian thing, yeah? Uh, prior to that, we were in the age of Taurus, which is why there's all bulls and stuff like that. <coughs> Um, so anyway, that's called the law of precession, P-R-E session, right? So the ancients believed every 2,520 years, it ended with a cataclysm, right? And there is some argument for that, uh, because of geological records and stuff like that, that we do face periodic cataclysms. Hence why Atlantis led me down that rabbit hole. So the great work on this, which I'm getting to the bit that might interest you. Okay, so the law of precession, Plato's great year, uh, the fact that Earth changes uh, constellation, that it aligns with equinoctially every 2,520 years. Right, it's a great book on this called Hamlet's Mill. Okay, which is why I mentioned this. So, <clears throat> Hamlet, I did not know that in the Saxo Grammaticus, Hamlet, uh, our Amleth, our Amlodi, is an old story. I did not know that. I did not know that Shakespeare based Hamlet on an old Scandinavian Norse story. I had no idea. The Ur Hamlet. You are Hamlet. That's yeah. the play that was written just before his. Before which is, Hamlet. Which is, that. which is closer to uh, the Scandinavian myth. Mm. Um, so Hamlet in that, uh, it means fool or wise one, Amleth or Amludi. Right. So mm. I didn't know any of this. I find this quite, quite fascinating. Um, and so... Um, so in that old Norse myth, he has a mill that... So the Norse myth is based upon the law of precession, right? And how at the start of the new age, when the equinoxes align with a new portion of the sky, Hamlet's mill is grinding peace and harmony and everything's great, you know? And then as it goes through the decline over the law of precession, he ends up at the bottom of the sea, sort of just grinding uh, a whirlpool right, in the sea, which drags civilization into it, end of civilization, we go into a new age. So I find that quite fascinating, actually. So the, so the fool or the wise one, that's why Hamlet focuses so much on epistemology, doesn't it? You know, the whole scene with the skull in his hand, mm. the, the whole area of how we know things and where does knowledge live and where does it go and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so yes, thanks to uh, the time monster, Atlantis led yeah. me down quite a rabbit hole there. I'd like to propose a sitcom called Hamlet's Mill, starring James Hayter, who okay. Mr. Kipling. Yeah? Um, I haven't right. got far on it yet. All but, right. You know, I think this could work. Basically, he works, maybe he works in a, in a windmill, grinding up tobacco for Hamlet's cigars. He'd be a foolish character. It could, it could. Yeah, well, he'd have to be a foolish character, but he wouldn't be foolish. He'd be pretending, wouldn't he? Because that's, that's the whole it. point of Hamlet. Um, all right, so right, okay. So uh, let's let's go back to this, because um, of course my problem immediately with this, and we discussed this the other week, is Heather Cooper, who used to make those lovely uh, astronomy programs on Channel hmm. Four, the planets and then the stars. Um, one week 
within about 20 seconds, she just dismissed almost everything by saying, of course, when people thought up all this astrological stuff, we were in uh, a different, um, you Gosh, know, in, in December, we weren't in Capricorn. Exactly. And so that's what I'm, that's what the law of precession is. Every 25,000, sorry, yes, every 25,000, 26,000 years, the Earth yeah. tilts more, and so we're looking right. at a different bit of the sky. Cool. What does that mean? What's that got to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with the proposed, the the concept that there was a civilization which ended in a cataclysm. Because right. if the Earth is changing from a cosmological point of view in its position, right, then that suggests that there are other changes in space that might affect it, such as the torrid meteor stream might pass closer and so something might hit the Earth. This might explain when the Earth changes its position in the cosmos, this potentially explains why it's more prone to certain types of things like being struck by a meteor or whatever it may be. If we're taken into the path of a meteor storm, then it's going to come and twat us every couple of years, though, if that happens. It won't just happen once because of this slight angle, and then the next year it goes, oh, missed us. Well, taking it up with Plato, that's no, all I No, no, say. no, I'm taking it up with you. What's this got to do with Atlantis? So a meteorite storm right. gets a bit closer, and Atlantis vanishes. Atlantis, which doesn't exist. But, yeah. I think I'm on fairly safe ground <laughs> with my own uh, brain to say that there was a place, I think as Atlantis did exist. Where was it? Uh, where we have the Azores right now. Why? Why was it there? Why did they put yep. it there? Uh, no, why, why do you think it was there? Okay, so Plato's account from the old priest, the high priest Solon, who tells him that about this place being there, right? Yeah. I know you're thinking of the brain of Morbius, but stay with Sorry. me. Sorry, yes I was. Right, yes, but I know on. you are. Okay, he's he describes it as being in the middle of the ocean beyond the pillars of Heracles, right? Not the pillars right. of Hercules, the pillars of Heracles, right. which is, you know, Gibraltar and Morocco, mm -hmm. Spain and Morocco. So yeah. that geographically places it where the Azores are today. Because of the recent archaeology where the Azores are, it's definite that there is some form of uh, ancient cities that went under the water there. Um, yeah. But this would explain why the likes of Mesopotamia just have all this knowledge. Because he talks about the Atlantean Empire extending into Libya, extending into Egypt, extending into modern-day Iraq, right? Okay, so he describes it as being 9,000 years ago, which with us would mean it was 11... Sorry, it was 600 BC the account was given. He said it was 9,000 years ago. With the 2,000 years since, that's 11,500 years ago which geologically we have on the record the sediment that proves about 11600, the end of the Younger Dryas, the end of the Ice Age, the Earth was struck by a comet, a meteor, whatever it may be. It caused a cataclysm, a giant flood, and thereby the parts of the Atlantean Empire that weren't Atlantis were cut off and stranded. I mean, even the ancient Egyptians talk about inheriting their kingdom. And even in the Bible, Adam and Eve, they are to go forth, aren't they, and replenish the earth. Go forth and multiply and replenish the earth, right? Because there's been a giant cataclysm. These are the oldest books in the world. You can be sniffy about Christianity, but you can't deny that these are the oldest accounts in no, human I, I, Absolutely, I wouldn't. Who told Plato that? This, uh, this priest? Yes. Who told him? Uh, it was passed down through the ages oh, by right. the priests. Oh, uh, I see. Okay. Well, we all know what happens when you play Chinese whispers. Well, it ends yes. up as complete bollocks, doesn't it? Hence why we need to actually sort of think about writing things down rather than just going, oh, this dead priest told me something the other day, Plato. Um, I think I remember they it. They did have it written down, though. They did have it written down. Where's that? It's secret knowledge. No, to, to no, I want no. Now I want it here and now, like the Elgin marbles. Present it to well, me. Well, then you're going to have to make a Kierkegaardian leap of faith, as I have. Oh no, I can't be bothered with doing that sort of thing on a Sunday. Anyway, anyway, yes. um, the pertinent aspect of this that was a side stream was I found that absolutely fascinating to know the history of Hamlet. I had, I had no idea that. It had such a root in, in you know, really 
dense folklore. And, it, and the original accounts got, it wasn't written down or it was lost. So it's only recorded in this uh, Saxo Grammaticus, isn't it? Mm. Well, it's fascinating when you actually do look at where Shakespeare, his ideas came from. Um, because Romeo and Juliet, no, not yours. Mm. Written by a chap called Arthur. Can't remember his surname now. Bostrom. Um, but written by someone who basically wrote this lovely long poem. We'll borrow that then. Mm. And I think if you look at the ones where Shakespeare was trying to be original, and generally speaking, they're not the best. It was a the brilliant Oxford dialogue. Not being available writer. that week. Well, there you go. Brilliant dialogue writer. Don't think much of the stories, the original ones. Personally. But, I mean, they're all like that, aren't they? They all borrowed from each other. Marlowe borrowed from Shakespeare. Shakespeare borrowed from Marlowe. I mean, Absolutely, and we still know. do now, of course. It's yeah. like soap operas now. They bicycle storylines around, don't they, constantly. I know you don't approve. It's the I modern don't day approve. Dickens. Dickens, Eddie. So, to, yes. to drag it back to nice things... Yes. Um, <clears throat> So you put me onto these obverse books this week. I think it was you. Uh, yes, yes, it was you. Yes, yes of was. course it was you. I don't talk to anyone else. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's sort of answered. Um, but, but the reason it sparked interest, and we both, I believe, bought this. Is that correct? We did. Yeah. We both bought this. Um, all right, you're going to have to take the lead on this because, well, I've not had a chance to even look at it yet as it only arrived yesterday. This is Obverse Books. What what alerted me to this, sorry, what appealed to me at this when you told me about it um, was that Rich Cross is involved mm. um, with the Obverse imprint is, is it Simon? Um, um, uh, uh, G- Gimsby G. Yeah, and, uh, uh, Gurrier or Gurrier or... Yes, I've yeah, never been so, quite sure on the pronunciation. No. But yeah. So that's Simon's uh, whole imprint, isn't it? And mm. I bought the Evil of the Daleks one as well. Uh-huh. Um, and I started having a look through that, and I thought I thought that was I thought it was very nice. There was a comparison he drew to um, in the intro. Sorry, bear with me. Um, great line that he brings in to compare it to the wiping of the evil of the Daleks Mm. um, with okay, I love this Um, so Marius Goring um, in the evil of the Daleks introduces a book that attempts to reconstruct the play The Bells from 1871 by Leopold Lewis. So what he's saying is, because he's never seen The Evil of the Daleks, writing this book when he's never seen something and trying mm. to describe the performances is difficult. But within The Evil of the Daleks, Marius Goring, um, you know, sorry, Maxtable, says mm. of a book that's trying to describe an acting performance from the 1870s, <clears throat> Written descriptions of acting performances seldom succeed in arousing the reader. When the moment has gone, they fade into the mist of old jumbled letters and photographs. Faces look beyond us from the past as distant as tomorrow. And considering that that's a line from The Evil of the Daleks, oh, isn't that... David Whittaker. Isn't that... I mean, but David Whittaker wasn't to know that within 24 months of broadcast, this, which is, for me, I... I I know everyone goes on about power, but for mm. me, it's the evil of the Daleks thing because it crystallises 1967, Victoriana, you know, we had the Beatles doing it, we had the Bonzos, we had that whole thing about Alfie Kemp's shop in Covent mm. Garden. Um, and I think that that passage, it's just, it's brilliant that you've got a character in the show talking about how do you describe an acting performance that is lost to the mists of time? Well, Simon has that job because he's never seen yes. the evil of the Daleks. No, it's a hell of a job as well, isn't it? Um, they're wonderful, wonderful books uh, from Obverse, I should Obverse. say. Um, absolutely wonderful, where they, they focus in on one piece of television to a minute detail. So this is one episode of Survivors, which, of course, we talked about at mm. length. Mad Dog, um, famously a story about rabies. Um I haven't looked. I haven't read it yet, obviously. But my hope is at some point. Well, there's two things I want. I want lots of detail about Morris Perry because mm. Morris Perry is a very nice thing. Morris Perry died about six weeks ago. Yeah, um, yeah, I noticed is, that. That's a real shame. Uh, but he's a superb actor, Morris Perry. I also Perry. So noticed that Godfrey James died late in 2019. I'd missed that one. Yes. Yeah. Because we're, I was watching um, Underworld. 
Mm. We are losing a few at the sec- at the moment. Um, yeah, but to to focus in on on Morris Perry, who I think is just one of those. He's he's um he's a Ronald Allen style actor. Tobacco, solid, tobacco hair and skin and yes. solid. Um, we love them. But but that moment in this episode where he shouts the line, "I've got rabies," and he howls it. That's beautiful acting. That's terrifying acting. It's a great so, episode. It is. I hope that there's loads on that, but I also hope that they talk about the uh, the dog pack. Um, oh, the friendly dogs. The friendly dogs, where they got some dogs in to to have rabies, and these dogs were just quite playful and just yeah. sat around a lot eating yeah. um, and looking very well looked after. Uh, so I hope there's stuff on that. But yeah, that's a very nice thing that I shall be jumping into. It. Yeah, I, I think that um, with Rich Cross right in it, mm. um, and it's it's very well referenced. They both are. Every single page is referenced. Mm. Um, you know, to the nth degree. Mm. I think it was. Uh, I think it might have been Young who used to write. You know, dissections of Nietzsche's work. And, like, he took a quarter of a book this thick of Nietzsche and wrote, like, ten volumes on it. So I think it's, like, that level of analysis, really. Mm, um, it is. Looking at it. So I'm hoping yep. they do the Survivors series mm. as a whole. That would be that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? I'm just, yeah, God, I'm just looking at the bibliography at the back. It's, it's enormous, isn't it? isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely no photographs. Amazing. No photographs in, in either of these. No photos, no. But of course, with this one, at least we've got the episode to watch and unlike yes. Evil of the Daleks. And I think that's probably out. a smart move in keeping costs down. I'm I'm not certain um, what the deal is with photos. I, w- I would suspect that any kind of production photos or anything the BBC own is going to be expensive. Oh, I would think so, yeah. You yeah, know, and these are quite price. reasonably priced. I think, what, are these seven quid or something? Seven ninety nine, I think they were. Something and occasionally, like if you that. if you follow them on Twitter, I think they're just at observe obverse books. Yeah. Um, they do occasionally have little deals where you get a pound off if you use this code pound. and things like that. So, uh, yes, I shall be. Hmm. I shall be enjoying that. So, returning to Hamlet's Mill. Yes. Now then, there is a brand of bread called Danish, isn't there? Mm. Danish loaf. It's like fluffy stuff. Oh, there is, yeah. There is. Yeah. Couldn't James Hater be engaged in the process of milling flour? And that we could have the Danish connection there? I'm not sure. No, we could do. Now, what year What year would we have commissioned this? Because Hater 77. was dead by... He only 77. did one series. Okay, 77. Well, let's have a look when James mean... Hater died. He does a great Friar Tuck. You ever seen his Friar Tuck? Yes, I have. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah, he died in 83. Oh, that's later than I thought. Okay, we could have this as a sort of... Do you remember those Monday night Yorkshire telly sitcoms? Like, yeah. there was one with Bernard Cribbins and the lad who played his son who looked incredibly like him. Uh, that's right, were, yeah. Which was the pier. What was the Dad's Army uh, follow-up where uh, they bought a pier and it was meant it to be... It sticks out half a mile. So they redid yeah. that with Bernard Cribbins and his son on a Monday night mm. YTV. Uh, Yorkshire made a, a number of these series for Monday nights, didn't they? Um, there was one, I think Kenvig may have been one, but there was certainly that one. Uh, there was one called Deadly Earnest with Andrew Sachs, uh, Manuel. Mm, Andrew Sachs, yeah. Andrew Sachs. There Sack. was also, um, now what was the other one? The, I think one of the last ones that we got was Fiddler's Three. Fiddler's Three was Peter Davison. Oh, what's his name? Play Kirk in Dear John, Kirk St. Moritz. Oh, um, God, yeah. Peter. He, yes, it was a Peter something. It'll, It'll come, come to me. me. And, I can uh, Google it, but I don't want to. And Tyler Butterworth, um, all working in a in an office together. Yeah, I remember with, that. Oh, yeah. One series, but written by Eric Chappell, so I, I enjoyed it, and it was Davison, so I, naturally I watched it. Um, but James Hater I love, of course, because he did one series of Are You Being Served? That's but right, by I the time that. he did that series of Are You Being Served, he was already doing the Mr. Kipling ads. Mm. And yeah, there was a fear of Mr. Kipling that basically, we're all selling our nice cakes, and then you're doing a dirty show with, with, that, with all that sort of sauciness. So how about... If we pay you the equivalent of what the BBC would have paid you for eight episodes of Are You Being Served, and you just don't do them. And Hater, unsurprisingly, said, Ooh, Yes, please, I'll oh, yes. do that. 
Yeah, and I think he then lived in Spain or France on the wages for a show he wasn't doing. He looked very suntanned. Back. Oh, yes. Didn't absolutely. he? He always looked very yeah, suntanned. all the time. And then he flew back to record the Mr. Kipling ads. But that was life from that point. What a lovely life. Who Being was paid that? not to be in a sitcom. Who was that smashing bloke who played the caretaker in Mind Your Language? He was brilliant. Ah, oh, and he was he was another chap who looked like he spent his life um, sunning himself in the Costa del Sol. Let's have a quick look at that. Go on, have uh, a quick look. My, I want to say Larry Martin, but I think I've got that wrong. No, you'll know him instantly when I tell you his I will. name. Um, go on, here we go. Ah, there he is. Ah, even the name makes me smile. Do you want to know? I do. Tommy Godfrey. Tommy Godfrey. Lovely. Oh, God, yes. he was great. He was great. Um, yeah, Mind Your Language is a, a weird one. You got you saying that the final series, that one made by the independent company. For <coughs> Channel 4. Absolutely. I remember it being on ITV. It was on really? a Saturday. Yeah, it was on, on a Saturday afternoon. Hang on, let's see if we can find some details on this. Go on, have a look. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a surprising thing to realise that uh, that final series of Mind Your Language has now been wiped. I don't think uh, it has. I well, don't think it has because it's it's available on DVD. So that's what makes final me think. series. Yeah. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. From yeah. Amazon. Well, there's a box set. It has series one to four, and the original run was only three series. Um, um, massively popular out in India. Massively popular. I, I'm I'm having a look of this. Yeah, go ahead. You have a look because I may because maybe they've split um, seasons three three up into two different ones or something. They could do. Let's have a look. So we've got <coughs> here's the complete mind your language complete series. Ah, uh, uh, now the complete DVD has got series one to three. <coughs> the original LWT. Yeah, across four discs. Hmm. Well, from what I understand, um, they're on YouTube of, anyway. They're on YouTube, so you know. I found one. I found one. That's all. I found the first episode. I'm trying to find out who the who the company were that made it. Well, this um, is the problem you see because what we got in the late '80s, early '90s, and so on is you got lots and lots of independent broadcasters starting up, especially making stuff for Channel Four. Um, and it's great to have that diversity. It's great to have all these little companies. But what happens to everything when that uh, company closes down? Well, Who then owns that yeah. material? Well, um, as far as I remember, when I looked it up years ago, it was made by a company that made Bollywood stuff because it was so um, so popular in India. Mm. Um Hang on, let me try and remember this uh, production mm, okay. company. Now, this is why what we've got at the moment is there's a, a big search at the moment for footage that was made for BSB, those okay. of the Squirrels, because that was all made by independent companies like Noel Gay Television and so on, and nothing was kept by BSB at all. So you've hardly got any complete runs of any shows made for BSB at all. You've got a full run of Jupiter Moon, because that was very popular and still sells across Europe. <clears throat> but then, when it comes to the other shows, to the panel shows, the comedy shows, and all those sort of things, suddenly, oh, we've got one episode of it somewhere yeah. that somebody recorded. But the rest of it is now gone, which is strange. Well, when we're talking about 1990. The producer on the final series was Bachu or Baku Patel. I don't know how you pronounce that name. Um, mm. Now... Um, looking at the other credits on IMDb, um, there's not a great deal. But I remember it being a different company. Um, series 4. If I Google Mind Your Language with... Um, let's have a look. Yeah. So I, I, I remember it being on at the end a name of a completely different production company. And I think that if you go on to YouTube... Yes. And look up that actual episode. Because it's such a poor, poor... Um, it's a pale imitation. The set, Did you have a look at that episode the other day? I did, yeah. The one episode that I, I could see there. That you should, mm, yeah, it's good. very cheap. It's very cheap. Yeah. So, But there's only that one episode that I can find. And right. According to this um, feed on a, on a Facebook group, one of the British producers was contacted... 
in terms of do you have copies of this? Right. No. No, he didn't. So currently, and this is according to I think Kaleidoscope as well, who look after all of this sort of thing. Apparently, that that final series is at the moment presumed wiped. It's no great loss, to be honest. It's it's pretty bad. I remember it being on. I remember it being on. And in the interim, you'd had Tommy Godfrey die, who was he's like, oh, he's great, what are you? Cool, blimey, blah blah blah. You know, so it's always the same when they bring these series back. You know, it's it's. I mean, it was dating back when they cancelled it in the late seventies, wasn't it? You know, it was very stereotypical with its um, depictions of the different people in this class and the idea that these. Um, you know this regular uh, this college what would have made it interested in, interesting is if the class would have changed every year because you wouldn't expect people to come coming back year after year after year after year so there were no. many arguments you could have from it in that um, respect but there were some brilliant actors in it there were some superb guys in that well you've got Dino Shafek yeah oh yeah. I'm anything with Dino Shafek I'm happy yeah. with yeah. Absolutely. Who's the who's the big Greek guy with the big tash? Oh, wonderful tash and curly hair on him. Yeah. He's great in Avidas and Pet when they go to Spain. Mm, Francois Pascal. Yes, well, of course. Ooh, them split skirts. Woohoo! Yeah, that made it worth watching, I'll tell you that. One of them, go. like Benny Hill when you were a kid and you end up, I'm just going upstairs, Mum, and you just got naked and wriggled around on the bed for half an hour. Just me, fair enough. I don't know. Um, but there was something about that. You were like, I don't know what it is, but I'm transfixed. Mummy. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. I ain't Absolutely. laughing at no jokes now, Mum. <laughs> Shit got real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, so if it has been lost, it's it's no great loss. It really isn't. Do you not remember it? I don't. I mean, maybe maybe then that's the one cancellation that Michael Grade made that we could approve of, because that was his personal cancellation. Well, they didn't um, use the uh, original theme music either, which, if you recall, it's like it's really oh, yeah. good. Wonderful it's, theme. It's plinky music. synth music that's dreadful. Yeah. Mind I, your language. Nice. On that subject, Awful. on that subject. Um, I, I asked you something over the old WhatsApp um, last mm. night, I think, that was really irritating me, um, yeah. which was, uh, I said I was really pissed off with TV t- uh, series which have got the wrong theme music. Mm. And and I gave you an example. Dreadful. And I've been trying to write uh, other examples down in my notebook uh, since. I've got a big blank <coughs> page. So I think I can't actually think of any others where the theme music doesn't fit. One thing I brought to mind when you mentioned it straight away was how confusing it was when a programme on ITV and the BBC had the same theme tune. I am, of course, referring to Give Us a Clue and Grange Hill. Grange Hill, yes. uh, Which I believe is a piece of library music called Chicken Man. I think I'm right in saying that. You're right. It's an Alan Hawkshaw composition, of course. Alan Hawkshaw, wow. That's that's a whole podcast in itself. Um, And used on Give Us a Clue first as well. Mm, yeah. Before Grange Hill for the first series of Give Us a Clue, which I think was seventy-seven. Um, yeah. So it features there. Um, that was that cozy, was all. Yeah. It's very cozy. Oh, that was show, lovely. That, that was super cozy with, with steps, thickly carpeted steps down yes. into an area, a sort of subterranean, yeah. almost Mithraic temple <clears throat> where you would perform. Yes. One. Lots of comfy jumpers. Comfy jumpers. Nice people. Um, nice people. But, Yes. But Lionel Blur, um, who used to get very angry if people didn't take it seriously. Very, very angry. Can't so you would it. occasionally get people who go on to give us a clue. Because it would be fun. And because they could just dick about a bit. Um, Blur did not approve. No. And I think it was Keith Chegwin who went on there one time. And, and he was being Cheggers. And if you watch the episode, and this is on YouTube, you can see that Blur is just giving him daggers throughout it. He's just yeah. not happy at all. Come back after the break, and and Lionel Blur's cheered right up, and Chegwin looks rather deflated in his seat. And apparently during the interval, Blur just leans forward and said, some of us are taking this fucking seriously. Brilliant. Furious. Brilliant. Absolutely furious with it. Brilliant. But, uh, Do you remember when he was on that thing where they were putting... Didn't they put them in care homes or something like that? Blur was part of it. Like a, <clears throat> those Marigold Hotel things they did for a while or something. That's right, yeah. And he was absolutely... Because he was outside. I remember how 
tightly his legs were crossed. Right, because he obviously was a, a you know a very in shape man, so his legs were very large, you know, thin, and his legs would look like they were wrapped around each other three times, and he's drilling this embassy. That's like <laughs> he's like eighty two or something at the time. You know what I mean? I don't need anyone fucking doing this for me. I fucking need it. It's just like wow, man, fucking. I hope oh, yes. I'm that feisty at eighty two. Oh God, yes, uh, absolutely remarkable chap. Yeah, but uh, he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. brilliant. As as a as a phenomenon, as an icon. Never mind what he did. No. Just the fact that he existed. Well, that's it. Up there somewhere, I've got uh, Lionel Blur's "Shape Up and Dance" uh, LP, and it's Lionel Blur shouting aerobics instructions at you to over the top of library music, which is just. But it does come with a full um, wall chart, full color wall chart of Lionel doing all the poses, which is just that's wonderful. I don't even Smashing. know what Lionel Blur was. I mean, was he dancer. just a celebrity, Massive, a dancer? Yes, but he was also successful West End dancer and choreographer. But he was an actor. A choreographer, yeah. a dancer, he was on panel shows, he was on comedy shows. That's what they were like. Brucey's wig says yes, you go yes. and do it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yes. he was a contemporary of Bruce as well. I mean, didn't he have a sister who used to uh, be on Give Us a Clue every now and then? Or was it just, an, uh, was she called Isla Blur? Or was she no relation to him? No, she's no relation. Isla Blur is married to Julian Glover. Oh, Okay. Yes, that's that's um, the half brother of, and I forget his name now. Julian Glover oh. is the half brother of Soft Machine. Come on, who is it? The guy in the wheelchair. Stephen. It'll Hawking. come to me. Okay. Stephen Hawking. Yeah, he did. Joyce Blur, an English actress and dancer. I knew he had oh, a sister because right. they were a double act, weren't they, early doors? Ah, oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. But, um, yeah, Isla Blair is in that Englishman's Castle. She's the female lead with Kenneth um, Moore. Kenneth Moore. Right. That's Isla Blair. Yes, yes, yes. Also in The King's Demons, second Doctor Who reference there. That's it. Robert Wyatt is Julian Glover's half-brother. That came to me. Mm. Robert Wyatt of Gong, uh, of Soft Machine and uh, and of Robert Wyatt. Um yes. So, but yeah. ultimately, where all this comes from, of course, is that I'm I I can't watch, and I know you don't approve of it, but I can't watch. Would I lie to you? Why because would it's you? got the wrong theme music. Well, because I like a panel game. I do enjoy a panel. It's because it's cut of the same cloth as Give Us a Clue and Just a Minute. It's and not all those things. It's not. It, it, I'm it, guaranteeing there are no very th- richly carpeted steps in it. No, there aren't. No. Admittedly, no. It's it's got that look of sort of like the last series of Blake Seven. Everything's isn't it like shooting lit. stars, very brightly lit. It does look like the same shooting set. stars, which was fantastic. And by the way, was mm. even better when um, uh, Matt Lucas left. It was. Mm. It just got even better when you had uh, the guys. Uh, was it Angelo or something? The Greek Angelos car- Epithemiou An- with the bag. <clears throat> yeah. Far better. And I remember yeah. Will Self being on it as well. And they did this carry-on thing where Will Self had the bald wig on. And he was just going, Sid! Sid! And it was just, it's like, ah! How come nobody's ever noticed now? Like Bernard Breslau, Will Self. <laughs> so, and they had like Bob Morton with black felt tip on his face being Sid. Oh, mm. Just great. And you had Vegas on it as well. But I think yeah. we were shooting stars, and probably did go on too long. But anyway, shooting stars completely revamped the game show format, didn't it? Yeah. And as a result of that, you've got Mock the Wheat, you've got Would I Lie to You, these very brightly lit guys behind desks, uh, you know, being alternative comedians as such, not that such a thing exists anymore. Um, and, and, and sort of irreverent game shows, I would suggest. Um, and then they started doing all that crossover business, which is eight out of ten cats do... Countdown, Countdown and all that stuff. Does the traditional game show exist anywhere? Is it even on Radio 4? Just a Minute continues. And right. that has not changed. So okay. now you've got... Um, now you've not you've got lovely Sue Perkins um, in the chair. You know what I love about that? Is that, of course, it's the same format. She says the same words as Nicholas Parsons used to. But at the end of every single edition... During the credits, they credit Nicholas Parsons for just doing it for fifty years. Uh, that and that that gives me that lovely happy sad, you know, which is well, that appeals which, to the conservative within you. 
It does. It absolutely we, we does. We revere but, the past. It, it also reminds me of that time when I met Nicholas Parsons uh, on the street in Edinburgh. And I was so enamoured. And I went over and I said, is there any chance I could have a photograph taken with you? And he really wasn't happy about it at all. I said, oh, if you must. OK, come on, hurry up. And I, there's a woman here. She'll take it for you. And I think it was the lady who uh, blew the whistle on just a minute who was walking with him. Right. And as soon as she lifted my phone up to take the photo, Parsons turned it on. Now, I imagine that in shot as the phone goes over his face, the face changes through the screen. It, was, it really <laughs> was that because he was standing, you know, some distance from me. As soon as the camera went up, though, the face changed. The finger came out to point at the camera, and the other the other arm went around me. And as soon as it was taken, it was oh, there. You go, thank you. I just yeah. turned it back off. But Total I pro. admire that. I admire that because God knows by that point he was into his eighties. But so the, the the game show does continue there. It doesn't really continue on on TV anymore, does it? No, I think the last one I saw of that cozy thing was a golf show with Tarbuck on a Sunday night. Dreadful. You see, and and it's not just shooting stars, is it? Again, it's Filthy Rich and Cat Flap that mm. totally and utterly obliterated that showbiz landscape. For a show that was on BBC Two and probably got two, three million viewers. Tops, yeah. The, the effect that that show had, you know, with... Um, I've got to go to the BBC and do Ooh, sounds a bit rude with yes. Jumbo Wiffy. Um, yes. And, um, you know, the whole panel pop up, Molly Slocum and all that. And the way that the laughter goes, ah, cuts off. Ah, yeah. cuts off. Um, so there was that. And do you remember when they were talking about the dinner party? Oh, yes, everybody will be there. You know, Tarby, <laughs> Brucey, Kenny yeah. Lynchy, and yes. all this stuff. And they just. Within that show, they totally deconstruct it. And who knows, maybe Ben Elton's so bloody bright that when he... Because uh, he's a very intelligent man. When he wrote that, maybe he was like, ah, this is a great way to dismantle the industry and I shall get my foot into it. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. It strikes <clears throat> me as a shame, though. There was space for both. There was there space was. for both. Yeah, absolutely agree. But, you know, like Plato's great year... You know, all things must pass, I suppose. And we don't... And it's like that Radio 1 when they took, you know, Radio 1 apart, which was brilliant. What was that? Blood on the Carpet, the documentary about them. Mm. Was it Matthew Bannister? Just it dismantled um, the the old guard. You know, ooh, Gary Davis. And and uh, and all those. Who was our tune? Simon... Simon Day. No, not Simon Day. Simon... Oh, Simon Russell. Thing Beale, is, like. Paul, how uh. can we forget his name? Bates. Bates. We, there we are. No, but but, but think about it. How buried that name was. And Simon Bates. Now him, uh, the Hurry Cornflake, um, Ooh Gary Davis, um, Simon Salad Cream. Um, who else was on there? Janice Long. Janice Long, Peely. That whole, that whole thing was dismantled, wasn't it? Um, and if you remember, there's that clip, isn't there, of DLT. Ugh, he wouldn't. He was meant to just leave quietly, wasn't he? But he called the press, and he came barging through the doors of Broadcasting House. Something very wrong is going on in this building. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then, of course, Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse brilliantly. Pastiched it with Smashy and Nicey, the end of an era. The end of an era is superb. It's absolutely wonderful. It's your decision, but, Daniel. But <laughs> but what what I think now is back then, of course, when all this was happening. I mean, it's like when you got this sort of like this new wave. I was what eleven when Filthy Rich and Catflap went out. I was about fifteen when the Mary Whitehouse experience started, and it felt like, whoa, this is for me. This is for me. Now, of course, a couple of years later, I look back on Give Us a Clue and Blankety mm. Blank, especially Blankety Blank, and I bloody love them, and I'm quite upset that more weren't made now. I think, oh, it was dismantled. Yeah. Fine, what were your thoughts on Win, Lose, or Draw with Danny Baker? Loved Win, Lose, or Draw. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, underpants viewing, wasn't it? It uh, was, 9.25 after Lorraine. Loved yes. it. Um, Absolutely loved it. Um, so that was a great panel show. I used to like how they all sat on cushions on the floor. It also reminded me of... Do you remember there was one when we were kids with Bill Tidy on it? 
where he'd draw something and they'd have to guess it. Yeah, I do remember that. Mm. Bill Tidy's still working, still doing masterclasses in cartoons. Mm. Good on him. We like Bill yes. Tidy a lot. We do. Um, but yeah, I mean, they did completely and utterly burn it to the ground. Mm, they did. But now it does try and come back, doesn't it? I mean, blankety blank. Oh, no, it doesn't try and come back. It doesn't. What they try to do is they try to be all cocky and knowing going, hey, we know this is, this is shit. You know this is shit. We're just going to take the piss. And it's like, no, it wasn't shit. I'm sorry. It was yeah. held together by the enthusiasm and the craft that was put into it by those people in it. And, yeah, it might have looked shit. Right, back to... Back to uh, Myths and Legends box set, right? Yes. Horns of Nymon or Nimon, depends which actor was saying the name at the time. Done on the set of, I think it was Top of the Pops, wasn't it? No money, right? Done on, literally done on the set of a light entertainment show, right? Yeah. Wow. Now There's then, not a lot of cash spent there. Have you got a bunch of actors going around, hey, this is shit. You know it's shit. We know it's shit. No, you don't. You have no. Graham Crowden. It was like Godzilla chewing the set apart. Yes. Oh, my God. And that is because it's the Brucey's wig mentality. You know, mm. you turn up, oh, I'm shit. You put the gear on. Wow. Yeah. No, absolutely. But the and problem here is, the problem here is that, all right, we've got no money. Uh, get the top of the pop set. Let's do it on there. That sort of attitude. We'll do That's the show right here. Lionel Exactly. Blair. The attitude now seems to be, well, we've not got as much money. Let's make fewer episodes. No, just have a couple of cheapies. No one's going to mind. Except and now no they will. No one does mind. But what you've got is people going on telly who everybody these days has got to be a bloody know-all. Right, and everybody has got to be like, "Hey, phew, well, they're not taking the piss out of me." Do you know what I mean? Everybody's got to have that attitude, and it's like, "Oh, for God's sakes!" Well, that's where I have an issue with these. Weren't the seventies awful programs? Oh, they're they dreadful. Really Don't even get me started. We've awful. been going an when hour you've got now. Someone it'll be another who's got hour. Twenty-eight, and they show them something that was on in nineteen seventy-four, and it's never been repeated. <laughs> Look at the shirts. You did not see it. You're a liar. Absolutely dreadful. not. I find those things infuriating. Absolutely dreadful. Absolutely yeah. dreadful. I have no idea why people think that's a good idea. I want insight and I want to learn something. Mm. That's what I want when I watch something. It's like, I think, what were the ones that were good? Well, I'll tell you one that, that was really good. About 2000, um, Channel 4 did the 100 Greatest Moments from TV Hell. Ah, well, of course. That's because we've got Faith Brown in the kitchen on GMTV with Rusty Lee. With Rusty it's the Lee, only source that. of that clip. Yes, so we've got that. But um, also within that, uh, they showed some clips of Heil Honey, I'm Home that weren't from the pilot episode. And that was what started me off tracking them down. So I'm grateful to it for that, for that little um, detective work that I got to do with that one. So that was a good one, because they weren't saying it was shit. They were saying things have changed. That's why they were mm. able to show clips from Mini Pops and then say, mm, bit dodgy, but let's talk to the yeah, kids. Yeah, Mini Pops is beyond dodgy. I thought that was dodgy at the time, and I was a child watching it. Well, it was, but it turns out, of course, this is nothing to do with the producers and everything to do with the kids. Because when they were talking about it, um, and they had two of the original mini-pops who were then, you know, in their late 20s, and they said the thing was that there were about 30 kids in the studio, tiny little independent studio near Limehouse, about 30 kids in the studio, and just running riot. And you had two makeup artists basically doing the makeup as quick as you can. Okay, off you go, you're done. And then they'd just go round again to the other makeup artists and they'd do them a bit right. more. So these kids were going through makeup three or four times, which is why they look a little bit dodgy. But Very apparently dodgy. the kids were just having fun with it. Um, and that's why they look like that. Wasn't that Michael Grade? No, that was, I remember this. It was I a thought Michael. he was something to do with it. It was a Michael. I'm gonna have a Google. Um, it weren't me. That was that. Yeah, that was just that was definitely. Hmm. I'll find that one. But no, no, I, not me either. Although I did no. have the album, but then I was eight when that came out. Photo so album. Think, uh, no photo. 
Ah, um, good, good, good. Uh, we will, uh, no, no, call LP, off the dear. dogs. LP, but I was only I was only eight, so I think I wasn't quite looking for that sort of thing. But no. the same age as I was when I wrote to Jim will fix it quite at least once a year. Oh dear, yes. Well, we all had a crack at writing to him, didn't we? You know, I, I often wondered why he wanted that sort of cheeky Polaroid in, involved with it, you know, see if you can help. <laughs> um, so, I think that um, we've probably, this has probably run its course. We have yeah, hit yes. pay dirt, as they say. Um, I, I don't so. know why Would I Lie to You has got a shit theme tune. Probably because it's a shit programme. No, no I'll help? tell you what it's got. It's just got the wrong theme tune. If you were to watch Would I Lie to You, right, mm. but it had the theme tune from University Challenge, the old version when it was on Granada, that would fit it. Because I sent a video game. project for you. That Well, I have already thought about that today, that that might have to happen. That's your Sunday afternoon. Never mind the sunshine. But it works. It absolutely works. If you imagine that programme, but it's a bit more sort of upbeat, rather than this hard rock shit going oh, on. Is that, that what doesn't it is? fit to, to, Yeah, it's mm. it's some sort of like hard rock metal music. Absolutely no. not. Absolutely I can't watch not. the opening titles of that. It makes me feel no. sick. Yeah, anyway. yeah, I know that feeling. Mm. But you I'd know, apply it to the whole programme. It's just a panel game, though. It's a, it's a little oasis of silliness, and there aren't many left. All right, then. Maybe I'll give oh. it a go one day. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll re-edit you one with the correct theme music. Do that. Send it me with the uh, universally challenged music, and I'll give it a yes, go. Yes, I shall do that. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, um, I think the sun's shining. I'm off out to play. I think so, yeah. It's, beautiful, it's beautiful. So we hope you enjoyed that, all of you at home. Uh, and until the next time... Goodbye. Bye-bye, and have a lovely week. I always forget that bit. Bye bye. Nice Things The Antidote to Modern Living was presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley, and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production. Nice Things.